Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's Word, fellowship, and prayer. Okay, so Ruth, uh, for whoever doesn't know, um, if, you're, if you're new, I mean, man, welcome. Welcome to Kaya. We're so happy that you're here. This isn't our normal, uh, or norm, our normal preacher. Normally, he's way better looking and, and funnier and cooler. But we are just so happy that you're here. Um, please, if you are new, meet somebody, grab somebody. I mean, anyone's going to be down to take you to coffee or do cool college kid stuff with you, play some games. I got invited to a game night one time. Yeah, we'll play games with you. If you're new, we, we love you and we're happy we're here. But Ruth is a story um, that starts out as, okay, so it's in the Old Testament, right? Old Testament. So no one's believing in Jesus Christ yet. Old Testament, Jesus isn't here yet. Old Testament, this family, Naomi, Elimelech, uh, and their kids, their two sons, they leave Bethlehem, Judah. So they leave Israel, they leave God's, God's land, they leave there and they go to Moab, right? And so this story kind of unfolds from there, from, from this family leaving God's land, they arrive in Moab because there was a famine, right? They left because there was a famine. I'm in the land of God, but there's nothing to eat, and so we're going to leave because I think there's bread in Moab. So we, we leave, doesn't help. We leave, um, we leave Israel to go find some bread in Moab, and then everyone dies. And uh, we, we go back to Israel, and that's, that's the story. That's where we pick up. So um, they left the land of promise and then returned. They pick up two daughter-in-laws on the way, ba- on the way back. So while, while Naomi and her husband and their two sons go to Moab, both those sons get married. Elimelech dies, both those sons die, and so now Naomi and, and, and Ruth and Oprah, it's Orpah, <laughs> Ruth and Orpah um, are with Naomi there. And so Ruth's um, story is kind of, ha- kind of blossoms from this, this story, this scenario where we're at, and then Naomi's quickly just kind of withers, Naomi kind of stops. And so what we're going to look at is a few different things, um, but we're going to look at just what it looks like to, to leave God's house and to try to find, find food in the world. Um, you know, they're not in the dispensation of grace. They don't, they don't believe on the name of the Lord, but we can find pictures of us in these Old Testament examples. We're going to look at, at, at Naomi's heart and how she reacted to her circumstances and her consequences of life. We're going to look at the same with Ruth. And then we're going to see how, based upon our actions, um, based upon how we respond to life, um, that's how, how, how we're dealt with through, through grace. But we'll see that through Boaz as well. And so now, typically, I would just read through a, a bunch of the text and break it down from there, but it's, it's two chapters, like I said, so I'm just going to pray, and we'll, we'll just chop through it, and you'll just have to follow along, and you'll have Ruth open, and you'll be reading along with me, okay? Let's pray. Father, we love you, um, and we're just thankful for today. We're thankful um, for just another opportunity to hear from you. Um, Lord, you're so good to us. 
and you constantly are giving grace to us. Lord, the hardest thing you ask of us is to have faith. Um, the circumstances and the pain and, and everything is interchangeable, but God, we're always just called to have faith. Lord, give us faith this morning to respond rightly, no matter what, what it looks like. Lord, if it's faith to believe in you uh, for salvation, let, let it be that this morning. If it's faith to believe in you, that your promises are true, help it be that. Lord, we need your word to be true in our lives. We need faith to believe on your promises. Um, help us, Lord, remove me, speak through me. Um, don't let me be a distraction, Lord. Uh, help us today to not leave the same people um, that we came here as. Just let me pray, amen. All right, Ruth 1.1. I am going to read a little bit of it. I lied. So now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she, she was left, and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. And they dwelled there about ten years. And Malon and Chilion died also, both of them, and the women was left of her two sons and her husband. And so the first thing that we're going to notice, the first thing that we're going to stop and take a look at is that if at any time the believer makes a critical life decision based upon our own earthly, worldly observations, we are asking, if not begging, for God's rebuke. Right? So we know that, that Elimelech and Naomi, they weren't, they weren't believers in Jesus Christ, but they were coming from, from the land of bread. If you study out the names, there's a lot of interesting names and what they mean in this book. But they're coming from, from the house of provision. They're coming from God's place and going out into the world based upon the circumstances that they found themselves in in God's house. So, so if, if them looking around, seeing there's a famine, deciding to say, I can't get food here where God is at in the land of the Lord. I'm going to go find food in the world because of this famine. They're begging for God's rebuke. They chose to leave the place where, where God was. And so we as believers can identify with, you know, Elimelech dies, but we're going to identify as Naomi now, as, as, that, as that picture of somebody who was in the house of God, who didn't lose their salvation, who didn't do anything like that. She's still from Israel but she left. She, she walked away from the Lord. That, that's who she's going to picture from, working picture from now on. And so to have a godly perspective, too often we let how the world operates define our outlook on life. Too often when we see a famine, we think, oh, that just means no food. Or, you know, that, that's what I mean, because you're in the land of God, and just because the world says a famine is there, we don't have to believe what the world says. Like, that's what God has been, has been making a way throughout the whole Bible. He's, he's proving that he is not subject to the laws that he instilled on the world. That's right. you, thought it was po you think it's possible to, to split a sea? Well, no, but God can do it. You think it's possible for fire to rain down in a pillar just on an ark and lead people through the desert? No, that's crazy. 
That like over and over again, you think it's possible to raise people from the dead? No, like, go do it then. But God can do it. He's not subject to this world. And so being in the place of God means having faith and remembering that, that the world doesn't, it doesn't confine God. A famine doesn't mean God can't give you food. Three fish doesn't mean he can't feed 5,000. I messed up the numbers. But you know what I mean? That it doesn't matter what's in front of you because you have God. We're talking about being in the house of the Lord. Famine doesn't mean anything. I just have to be where I'm supposed to be. So Bethlehem is the house of bread, and Judah means praise. Now, despite being in the house of bread, this family decides that because of the famine, famine, they should leave. In any decision we make, good or bad, we're going to reap the consequences of our decisions. So if they decided to stay, well, they would reap the consequences of staying. But they decided to go, and they're going to reap the consequences of going. That's just how living life works. And so for us, starting to identify with with Naomi, with Ruth, with whatever, right off the bat, we know that we do make decisions as well. Don't we make decisions? Isn't, you know, yeah, everyone makes decisions, you know. Uh, Easy's decisions is what you're going to eat for breakfast, uh, what kind of car you're going to drive, whatever. You're making decisions all the time. And there's there's key decisions, big decisions, that are going to have bigger consequences than what you eat for breakfast. Right? Who you marry is a lot different of a decision than if you eat peanut butter, Captain Crunch, or Lucky Charms. Right? We understand that? And so those consequences are going to be a lot different. Who you marry, where you go to school, who your friends are going to be. Naomi and her husband saw famine. They saw hard times. And instead of remaining where they knew was the land of the Lord, they chose to go find satisfaction in, in Moab or the world. And so key point number one, when you are not trusting in God's promises, all you're left with are the world's. If you're not going to believe God's promises, well, then you're going to have to believe the world's promises. And stay, I messed up the the order, but stay there. I'm going to go ahead and read these next two things, but just stay on that one so they can write it down. Romans 5.5. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. And hope maketh not ashamed. Ephesians 1.18, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling, and what the riches of his glory, of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. So those are kind of some sub-references. Write your key point and then jot those little references down to go back and study later. But when you're not trusting in God's promises, all you're left with are the world's promises. If you don't have that hope that God intended to you, he he gave you a whole book filled with hope for you to trust in. If you're not going to believe in that, well, then, yeah, it does look like a famine, you know? Okay, so now you can move on uh, to those. I just put them up there. You can write them down. So let's keep reading. Um, Pick it up in verse 6 of Ruth chapter 1. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab, so she she had left Bethlehem, Judah, she's in Moab, and now in Moab, Moab, she hears that the Lord visited his people in giving them bread. Weird. Wherefore she went forth out of the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return unto the land of Judah. 
And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you, as ye have dealt with the dead and with me. And the Lord grant you that ye may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice, and they wept. And they said unto her, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. And Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters, why will ye go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb, that they may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters, go your way. For I am too old to have an husband, if I should say I have hope, if I should have an husband also tonight, and shall also bear sons, would you tarry for them till they were grown? Would you stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. And so, looking at Naomi here, when we're in the midst, when we're faced with our consequences, Naomi is in the middle of facing the consequences of their family's decision. We can either humble ourselves or we can harden our hearts. And so a hard-hearted, bitter, and self-centered Christian, a believer who has walked away from the place of the Lord, can only benefit the kingdom by God's profound grace. Look at the length Naomi goes to not benefit the kingdom. She's coming back to the house, and she's, she's talking to these two, these two daughters. Her, her fruit from that, that journey, her, her, her disciples, whatever you want to call it, and all she's telling them is to go back. I have nothing for you. So she still doesn't get it. Naomi made, was a part of this decision. I'm not trying to put all the blame on Naomi. I don't know how much of it was Elimelech, but it's probably going to sound like I am. It's easier. to it rolls off the tongue that way. But so Naomi has, has so much experience with self-decisions. There's a famine here. I'm going to leave. And, and in dealing with those consequences and in, and in speaking with, with Ruth and Orpah, she's, she's not repented yet. She's not, she's not speaking about anything other than still just herself. Why don't you guys go back, go back to your gods. I don't have anything to give you. What do you expect from me? What am I going to do for you? Why don't you guys just go back to Moab? So she still doesn't get it yet. She's hard-hearted. Naomi did everything in her power to send Ruth back into the world. But by the grace of God, Ruth doesn't go. And they lifted up their voice, reading on, verse 15, and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. And she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law is gone back unto her people. So Orpah went back. And unto her gods, return thou after thy sister-in-law. So Naomi says, Hey, Orpah left. Ruth, you still need to leave too. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord, the Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. When she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. <laughs> So they too went until they came to Bethlehem, and it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them, and they said, Is this Naomi? And she said unto them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. 
Why then call me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, which returned out of the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of barley harvest. Okay, there's a lot to say here, and there's a lot to study. We're, we're covering two whole chapters, so that means we're not going deep in a lot of places. So you guys, homework, look at this stuff and figure out and see, well, there's a lot of interesting stuff here. Maybe study it. But so the character of Ruth, in her response, you saw Orpah's response to Naomi. Orpah just went back. The character of Ruth comes out here, not because of anything that Naomi did, not, maybe it was, not because of anything Elimelech or these sons did, but, but, but Naomi's character, Ruth's character comes out as being, she's experienced this God. She doesn't want to go back. She doesn't want to go back to her gods like Orpah did. She said, thy God shall be my God. She saw something and decided to cleave unto it. When the world sees that there is something that can actually fill that black, empty hole in their heart, sometimes despite us, we are desperate to find it. And so Ruth was in Moab. She was, she was from the world. She wasn't a child of God. Naomi, walking away from the Lord, finds Ruth, and Ruth just gets a taste of that satisfaction that God offers, that I don't have to just live for nothing. There's something that fills that hole inside of me. Ruth, Ruth sees that, and she follows after it. That's exactly what we have to offer the lost world. You don't have to be Naomi to share the gospel. You can, you can share the gospel now in the place of the Lord, and while we go out, that, that's what we have to, to share, is that, hey, hey your gods? Mm-mm but our God. Where there is death, Ruth chases this God she has experienced while Naomi retreats into bitterness. So when faced with death, Naomi retreats to bitterness, but Ruth chases after that God that she experienced. Where there was sorrow, right? Can you imagine? Like, we just glossed over it, but their whole family just died. Everyone just died. So it's hard to lose somebody. Imagine, you know, Ruth, Ruth has lost her husband, her, her brother-in-law, her father-in-law. They just, they just are gone, just like that. And in facing that sorrow, Ruth cleaves to God Almighty, while Naomi shuts down and just looks into herself. So where there is loneliness, your, your spouse, your partner dies. Where there's loneliness, where there's fear, anxiety, despair, hopelessness, confusion, destruction, evil, counsel, pain, Ruth chooses the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. She leaves the gods and idols that Orpah went back to to chase after the God that Naomi had. And so what will we do? When faced with those things, that, that's a tough thing. And no one's saying that suffering isn't hard. No one's saying that losing something or experiencing something or going, going through something difficult isn't difficult. But all God's asking you to do is to have faith in, in any circumstance. It's, it's there, you know, the action is never harder or easier. The action is always having faith. But the circumstances around that faithful decision are what shift. So, so how, how crazy of a circumstance will happen to you before you decide to not have faith anymore? What, what, what comes when you're, when you're not going to say, I'll have faith? Yeah. 
What do we do? Ruth is newly married, and her husband dies. Her brother-in-law dies. Her father dies. Will we be Ruth and choose faith, or will we be Naomi and choose bitterness? Naomi says she's too old. Um, in her despair, she provokes those around her to sin. She's just, she chooses bitterness and is, has no vision for the kingdom of God anymore. No vision for, for redeeming souls. And I know that's not the mission back in the Old Testament. But for us, you know, this bitterness just, just put blinders on her. And she can't see that what she says is causing this, this girl that could have returned with them to stay, stay in Moab, stay in the world. When you choose bitterness... It, it blinds you from, from your witness to the world. We Christians cannot and we must not let what happens around us, we can't let our circumstances provoke our decisions. We can't do it. Because the world and the devil, they're good at what they do. They can figure you out. They can push your buttons. They know exactly what to put in your path to get you to choose anything but faith, to get you to be a little bitter, they're going to keep doing it. It's going to keep coming. And we, if we're going to be Christians, we can't, we, can't, we can't look at that stuff. We have to let it affect us. Because pain is hard. Loss is hard. But we still have to choose faith. You know, if Naomi had this steadfast stance that Ruth does now, she wouldn't have left the house of bread in the first place. She wouldn't have left Bethlehem in the first place. So I'm asking you, I'm asking myself, when the world throws its famines at me, will I be steadfast? Will I act like Naomi or will I act like Ruth? Do I respond and change my name to bitterness? And do I suddenly identify more with my depression than, when I, than, I, than I do with my identity in Christ? Do I accept the defeat that they've pitched at me? Do I just accept that it's a famine? Do I just accept that everything's over? Or like Ruth, will I cleave unto God? Can I believe that Jesus Christ's promises are true? If you're holding a Bible, hold it up. Lift up your Bibles right now. Can I believe that these words mean something? That the promises that God told me, I mean, look at it, you have it. You're holding it in your hands, a pile of what God promised you to be true. Despite loss, despite death. Despite famine, none of that affects how true those words are. None of it. And will you believe that or not? Will you cleave unto it? Because if you're not going to cleave unto it, it has no power in your life. But if you will, well, then you'll find bread in the famine. If you will cleave into it, then that Red Sea, watch something crazy part in front of you. If you're not going to believe the promises, then yeah, it is crazy for us to win Kansas City to Christ. But if you're going to believe that what Jesus Christ and what God wrote down in that book for you is absolutely true and that I can have faith in it, man, then Kansas City is just waiting for the gospel. What will we do? What will we do? It's better to be poor and hungry in the house of the Lord than rich beyond measure in the world. What will we do? Will we run away? Will we go get paid better somewhere else? Well, if, if all you care about is the world, then you might as well, right? I mean, if, if all this is to you is comfort and, and fun living, well, then yeah, just go get the better job and move wherever. 
Stay in Moab. Are you getting tired? The, okay, this one. Are you, are you tired of waiting for promotion in ministry? Like the church is some kind of business world that experience and time and dedication just leads to getting a promotion? That's not the church. Like, I know the world is trying to convince us that if you spend more time here, you get promoted, and now everyone thinks you're cool because you've spent time in here, and you climb the corporate ladder, and now you're a manager of the assistant to the manager. That's not how the church works. It's not. If you repeatedly make faithful decisions, well, then maybe you have a good, a good idea of what someone should follow. Maybe you're a good example now. Maybe I make faithful decisions, but I, I can't speak. Well, maybe then I won't be discipling somebody. Maybe. I'm just saying. I'm throwing it out there. I'm not telling you anything. It's just we can't let the world define how we live church. Sorry, that was a side point. Okay, so what are you going to do? Are you going to run away? Are you going to go get paid more? The point is that, is that my old gods, the gods in Moab, the gods that Orpah turned back to, they did promise satisfaction. They were alluring to Naomi and Elimelech. The drugs and the parties and the girls and the boys and the jobs and the family, the house, the muscles, whatever it was for you, you're not going to lay it down. The, the cool, I don't know. You don't just forget about it. It's in your flesh somewhere that, that lusts for the things of the world. That doesn't go away. Moab is still there. But it is nothing to me now that I know the God. It's nothing when you get to see choosing faith and those words becoming reality in your life. You're like, oh. <laughs> That's why it's so crazy when, some, when you, when you are, are teaching someone or you're in a Bible study and someone has this testimony of, of man, that, that, was the, that was the time or this is the time I really saw the, the word of God come alive. Like I saw something and I prayed for something and then this verse like wrapped it all up into one and then it just was supernatural. Because that's exactly what happens. It's crazy to live your whole life in the world and then all of a sudden what all these crazy Christian people were talking about was right. You know, you, you do these cross-references and then you see this picture and you're like, oh man, this stuff is crazy. This book is alive. Matthew 7, 24 uh, through 27. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built this house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the famine came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Don't you know what we signed up for? It's not just to be in the land of God, and everything's great. I'm a Christian now. I'll never be hungry. I'll, I'll never be, have a famine come through. I'll never, have, I'll never have strong winds. I'll never have waters dumping down. I'll never have loss. I'll never have pain. That is made-up talk. <laughs> That's never talked about in the Word. What's talked about is 2 Corinthians 1 through, 1 through 10. Yes. 2 Corinthians 1, 1 through 10. So, this is Paul. Our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of the sufferings, 
so shall ye be also the consolation. For we would not, brethren, have, have you ignorant of our trouble when we came in Asia, or our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure. Just sounds bad. Pressed out of measure. Above strength. Insomuch that we despaired even of life. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves but in God which raiseth the dead. Who delivered us from so great a death and doth deliver in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. You see that? Despite suffering, despite everything going on, we have a God who did deliver us, who doth deliver us, and will deliver us again. That's right. No matter what. There's famine. There's famine. You're hungry. Well, remember, he did deliver you. He will deliver you, and he will deliver you again. Remember that. His promises don't stop being true when this, this circumstance pops up. Oh, well, his promises were true when my car broke, and he provided a new car for me. Great. But now I can't get applied for school and I'm getting kicked out. I don't know. I'm getting kicked out of the country. I guess his promises aren't true anymore. This is one's a really big deal. No, his promises were true. They are true and they will be true. He did deliver you. He is delivering you and he will deliver you. Don't be caught up in the circumstances. Key point number two. In storms, in strife, in suffering, be ye steadfast. That's what Ruth was. Despite everything going on, she clave unto God. And, and when Naomi saw her steadfast response, gave up trying to send her home. Like, no, this girl's steadfast. So that 2 Corinthians passage, another 2 Corinthians passage is, is, is Paul saying that he was, you can leave the, leave the key point up so they can write it down. Is Paul saying that he was thrice beaten with rods, he was stoned, he was shipwrecked, a night in the deep. Job, I mean, look at the book of Job. How can, I mean, how did we come, get away from that thinking that we wouldn't go through famine, that we wouldn't have hard times? The world is cursed, right? This isn't the promised land. <laughs> Maybe it's the church land. But the promised land is, is when we get back into heaven. Then we can have the happy, everything's good, taken care of, worshiping Jesus time. While we're here, no, we will suffer. Because the world's cursed. People do die. Diseases do happen. Bad things happen because evil is at work all around us. That stuff will happen, whether you're a Christian or not, yes. even. But as a Christian... In those things, will we have faith? Will we take the faithful response to believe God's word to be true? Will we be steadfast? So what are we, t- what are we even talking about? <laughs> what are we talking about? What does being steadfast look like? You said, yeah, take the faithful response. But what does that mean? That's just some spiritual talk. That's what everyone would say. They're just going to say, have faith. So I'm here, but there's pain around me. I'm here, but... I'm tired. I'm trying to build my house on the rock. Maybe like Ruth, you are cleaving to God and seeking after him. How do you move forward? I feel doubt. I feel insecure. I feel weak. I feel unable. I just feel so confused about what you mean when you tell me to have faith. It's confusing. I have all this stuff going on. I don't know what to trust God for. I don't know what decision to make. I don't know what decision to make and then trust God while making that decision. I don't know. 
Well, let's look at Ruth, who was called steadfast, who we can see clearly had a faithful response. Let's see what she did. Let's go back and look at it. Ruth chapter 2. So now go back, take a turn on the page or whatever. And I can never figure out how to print double-sided notes. So this is going to be a little difficult because it's, I flipped the short end. Don't worry. So let's look at Ruth. What did she do? Okay, she is steadfast. She's going to return to the house of the Lord. She's going to have faith. What does she do? What's it look like? Well, let me just skim through chapter 2. We'll skim through the whole thing, and then we'll go back to it. It says, And Ruth said unto Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean. Weird. And she went, and she came, and gleaned in the field. So she came and continued, even from the morning until now, that she tarried a little in the house. Then she fell on her face. She bowed herself to the ground. And when she was risen up to glean, so she gleaned in the field until even and beat out that she had gleaned. So she kept fast by the maidens of Boaz to glean unto the end of the barley harvest and of the wheat harvest. Maybe that's really confusing. For me, it's jumping out. What Ruth did was get to work. She went to the field. She knew God. She knew his promises. And she got in the field. She worked. Look at all those verbs. She gleaned. She was there all day. One of the testimonies of Ruth in this chapter, if you look, is that she didn't just take a long break and drink water. She came back, took a sip, and went right back to work. Can you imagine losing everything, going through everything that Ruth went through, coming back in here? Naomi's not even helping her. Naomi's sitting at home, devising, I don't know, evil evil surmising, whatever Naomi's doing. And she's like, go work for us, Ruth. And Ruth is like, well, I'm going to go. And so Ruth goes to the field. Next day, goes to the field. Next day, goes to the field. Next day, goes to the field. Before we know anything about Boaz, before we see anything about a kinsman redeemer, before any of that, Ruth goes to the field and works. And in her having faith, Boaz finds her through nothing other than her faithful response to her circumstances. Right? What did she do? Did she go find the richest guy with the richest field and, um, I don't know, walk into his room? No, he wasn't even there. Boaz wasn't even in the field. She shows up to a field and works. She shows up and she's faithful. Then Boaz returns from some business trip, suit and tie. It's like, who's that? (laughs) But when we make faithful decisions to get to work, to not worry about that stuff. Just get to work. What does it look like for you to get into a field? Okay, plug into where you're at. What Bible study are you in? What field? Okay, maybe generally our field is Kansas City. That's a big city. You can get into that field, but what smaller field can you get into? What Bible study you have? Where are you guys evangelizing? What crops are you grabbing and picking up to take home, to take care of, to peel? What are you doing? How can you get to work? What's your ministry? Just get to work. Not in a fake way, but in a faithful way. Not that I have a plan or I'm manipulating. I, I hope this is Boaz's field because I know he has got a lot of money and he'll save me and Naomi. No. Ruth is faithful 
goes to a field and puts in the work, and Boaz finds her. He finds her, and guess what? It's just blessing. <laughs> it's only goodness. And that's when we, we unpack the, you know, the picture of Boaz and how he's a kinsman redeemer, and he takes someone and, and, and translates them from their old family. And, and now they're your family, they're the child of God. Our story, our, our message isn't really about that. But man, you got to get to work. Right? We don't have time to sit at home and complain about, I don't like Brandon's short hair now. I liked it when it was long. You know, we don't have time to, well, Brandon, I would get to work, but he was just a real jerk to me. You know, or there's just these clicks everywhere. I don't even know. We don't have time to, to complain about the work. We don't have time, have time to complain about our circumstances or our feelings. That's Naomi. You know what Naomi is only blessed because Ruth's doing something. Other than Ruth, Naomi's just at home complaining, being bitter. The Christian has little time for self-pity and doubt when facing the fields of his labor. When Ruth dedicated herself to the work, she found blessing. She found sweat and a physically taxing experience. But look at verse 12. The Lord, this is Boaz to Ruth, the Lord recompense thy work, thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. And that's so true. We were, we were in Dallas um, last weekend, and Ruth was where we were, were doing our morning devotions. We were going to be there four days, thought four-day four, four book, you know, four chapters, which we didn't even do four chapters. But, you know, that was one of the things that we talked about, is that, man, it's, it's hard, it's difficult, but God's promises are like being under a big bird's wings. It's so weird to say, a big bird's wings. <laughs> Don't you feel so safe <laughs> under the wings of a big bird? <laughs> no, but like, think about it. Like, protection from anything, whatever it is. Like, you're just right here. You're right here. Don't worry about anything. That's the protection of the Lord. He, he knows. He knows that you've been through it. He knows that, that Ruth lost her husband, lost family members, that she's from Moab, whatever, whatever growing up in Moab looked like. Moab did child sacrifices, baby sacrifices, just so you know. Whatever it is, the Lord knew. He knows that. Whatever you've gone through, he knows. He knows. He's going to take care of you. Whatever you've gone through, he will take care of you. If you'll have a faithful response to him, it'll be like being right under those wings. Amen. Nothing can hurt you when you believe in his promises. It can hurt you, but it can't hurt you. You can be hungry, but you won't be hungry. How do you explain the stuff that these guys went through? Paul says he was in the deep for three days. I don't know what that means. Was he dead for three days? Or was he really deep in the tunnel? He's deep. For three days, but he's still going, still trucking. He was shipwrecked. Like all the things that happened to Paul, basically he died 
literally died over and over again, and somehow is still alive. God knows, and there's grace for that. There's faith for that. When you're working, it's Boaz's field. He'll take care of Ruth. When we're working, it's Jesus Christ's field. He'll take care of us. Key point number three. A Christian with character is a Christian devoted to Christ's work. And so Ruth had character, but we see in her character that she's devoted to getting to that field and working. A Christian with character is a Christian devoted to Christ's work. Just look at Acts 7, the story of Stephen, a guy with character, and despite being stoned, devoted to the work of preaching the gospel. Daniel 3, 25, three kids devoted to Christ's work get put in a furnace to be burned alive. You know what it's like? The guy says in verse 25, Lo, I see four men loosed walking in the midst of the fire. Like the people that are checking on the fire are being burned alive before they can get close enough to check that it's hot enough. It's so hot. But God knows what pain, what suffering, what, what evil feelings, what dark feelings. You know, I don't fit in. Nobody cares about me. I'm on the edge. What, whatever it is, fill in the blank. Plug in your thing. I feel hurt. I don't feel recognized. I don't feel like anyone sees what I'm doing. Are you in a furnace? But even if you were, like whatever, wherever you are, I'm not saying that to condemn those things. Those feelings are real and they can be overwhelming. But in that furnace, you're walking around like it's nothing. People are being burned alive trying to get close to that furnace. And they're in the furnace walking around. And you know what? Jesus is right there in the furnace with them. There's famine everywhere. Who cares? Jesus is walking around with us. I don't even remember the last time I ate. You know, I don't feel hungry. I'm in, I'm in, a, I'm in a literal fire, and it's not burning me. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, but you do need to eat, though. No, they're inside a fire and not being burned. What? Like, so what, what, what thing was too unrealistic? A faithful response you get Boaz, a faithful response, Jesus Christ is there. A faithful position of I will trust, I will have character, I will have Christian character, I will do the work. Jesus is right there. We can't let our circumstances dictate our decisions. There's a famine, I think we should leave. No. No, no, no. There's a famine, I put my faith in Jesus, my anchor. Jesus. Well, you don't have to keep singing it, but what does an anchor do? <laughs> what does an anchor do to that boat? It won't go anywhere. It might move around a little bit, but the anchor keeps it right there. My anchor to the storms. There's a famine, okay, but my, my, I'm going to anchor myself in the word of God. So I may move around a little bit, but I'm not going to go out to Moab and face the consequences of that decision. Whatever you go through, find your anchor in Jesus Christ. 
We must live in the light of God's word. We can't let the temporary evil nature of this world remove our resolve. We can't. We have to live in light of the words of God. We can't let our flesh provoke us to self-pity. It's tempting. It's really hard to stop thinking about yourself and then stop feeling sorry for yourself. It's difficult. But you can live in the light of God's word. What do you need to do? What do I need to do? Do we need to, like Ruth, cleave unto God and just go where he was going to go, go where he came from, go back to the land and get to work? We have to get up and go to the field and be there all day. Not just go for a little bit, 15 minutes. Okay, yeah, the field. Now I'm going to go take a break and drink all of Boaz's wine and water and whatever. She could have. She could have taken it easy, but she was at the field all day long. She clocked in, and she's the last one to clock out. I don't know. And you can't just glean corn. You have to beat it and peel it and process it. You can't just invite people to Bible study. Hey, man, what are you doing Thursday? This is what I did all the time. I catch myself. Like, hey, what are you doing Thursday? Ah, oh, we got a Bible study. All right, see ya. Like, What? I, what, am I, what am I hoping they're going to convince me to give them the gospel? I think somebody's going to get me to tell them about Jesus. Hey, what are you doing Thursday? Oh, I don't know. I'd love to hear about Jesus, though. You would? <laughs> no. No. You, you say, hey, man, what's up? What's your name? Oh, cool. What are you doing? Oh, I'm a doctor. You know, I know a better doctor than anyone that's ever lived. <laughs> I mean, don't do that. It's weird. In Vietnam, in Vietnam, that works really well, actually. Like, oh, you want to be a teacher? Dude, let me tell you about a teacher I know. Um, but anyways, you have, to, you have to do it. You have to put the work in. You have to go to the field, and it's not just, it doesn't just show up like Amazon at your doorstep. You go to the field, you pick up all the stuff, you carry it with you in a bag, you take it, you beat it all out, you get the fruits that are up, then you put it back in the bag, and then you take it to the market, and then you keep what you need, then you sell. But you have to do the work. And it's no wonder we find ourselves without fruit. Because you didn't pick anything up. You picked it all up and left it on the field. You just sold it all at the market. We don't do the work. And it's because we're Naomi instead of Ruth, sitting at home, Naomi, you should find yourself in his bedroom where he doesn't expect you and traps you, and then you have to, then he's like, oh no, you're in my room. Like, just scheming. But you know what? Ruth could have just said, hey, I'm Ruth. <laughs> that, that's what blows me away, is that Naomi had to scheme up this plan. Like, you listen to the lady who has only made faithless decisions. But like, the whole experience of Ruth and Boaz I'm sure Bo- Ruth could have just been like, hey, my name's Ruth. I'm a near kinsman. He'd be like, oh. And all the same stuff would have happened. It didn't have to be any of that creepy like bedroom floor stuff. <laughs> okay, so in conclusion, are you Naomi or are you Ruth? Are you pouting and complaining or are you working? Can you see the field? Can you even see it? Do you know where you need to go? You know what's amazing about the faith of Ruth? 
is that Boaz comes and finds her. That in her faith, Boaz just shows up. When all she has done is honestly work before the Lord, Boaz is Jesus Christ. That is his picture. He's not literally Jesus Christ. But he pictures Jesus Christ. He takes our old family ties and he washes them away. He brings us into his name. When we faithfully go to the field and we put in work, Jesus finds us. And he's there with us. And Okay. Getting too far. Christ takes such tender care of us. The problem is when our hearts are bent and crooked and withered like Naomi's. Choosing rather to be bitter than to just be like Ruth's and accept it. And have faith in him. Christ stops his successful crop harvest and notices this small, dirty, poor foreign girl in his field. Like, that's what Boaz does. She's not from there. I'm not trying to be weird and racist. Boaz, successful business crop grower, showing up from his, on his private jet, gets off, and he stops his whole business. He had, a, he had an agenda. His, his lady that's trying to plan his day is like, no, 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 we, got, we have a meeting at 6. We can't stop. He's like, he stops, and he sees this dirty, poor, foreign girl who's had her, her whole life fallen apart. She's not even doing anything. She's just following behind the rest of his successful work. He stops and sees her and finds her. You don't think Jesus Christ cares about you? We are nothing. I'm nothing in the scheme of the universe. You know, there's, for one, giants existed. There's kings. There's a big dragon somewhere. There's prophets and apostles. And then even humans, there's more successful people than me. There's better looking people than me. There's worse looking people than me. (laughs) There's better athletes. There's all kind of people. Why should God care about me? But he does. He'll stop everything and find me. But when, when me, when you, when we show up to the field... We're willing to sweat and we're willing to work all day in the sun, cleaving to God. He's there. That's, that's, that's my Jesus. That no matter who you are, no matter what you did, you can find him. He'll find you. If you take one step in trying to find him, he's like, oh, hey, how you doing? <laughs> he's waiting for you to call out to him. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, Oh, man. It's the sweetest thing you could ever know. Because everything about who you were, everything empty and hurt, hurtful, and, you know, in the world, you, you, you live your whole day, and then you just sit in your room at the end of the day, and just you regret. You feel empty. You feel unsatisfied. Stuff's churning around. Just what, what's the point? What's the point of just going to work every day? Nothing happens. What if I do get more? What's the point? That's what goes through your head when you're, when, you're, when you're lost, when you don't know Jesus. If you know Jesus, it's worth it. You know. And his Holy Spirit is inside of your heart. And he reassures you. And he speaks to you. And he walks with you. And he, he wants nothing else than to, to just have a relationship with you. Than just to say, hey, how's your day going? I'd love to hear your voice. Oh, thanks for coming out to the field today. Let's work. We got a lot to do.
If you don't know Jesus, no matter who you were, no matter what you did, no matter what you're going to do, Jesus is God, and he gave his life up on the cross, took all of that sin, all of it, and he died physically. It's like a jacket. He put that sin jacket on, and he died. And you don't get it back. If you accept that Jesus Christ took your sins away and paid for them and died, you say, Jesus, will you save me, a sinner? He will. And at the judgment seat, when you die, you don't deal with sin. At the judgment seat, like once we're, done, once we're done here, I could walk outside and get hit by a car. You know, I don't ever have to face my sin again because Jesus Christ paid for it. And in the person of Jesus Christ, that sin's gone. And I don't know, I probably just butchered that for you guys, but there's going to be counselors up here while we close in worship in a second. You have to play really quietly. Maybe we shouldn't do the worship part. Who was uh, I talking to? Because it's like 15, right? Okay, just do not. Okay, so Spanish class is still going, and they can hear really well what we do. We have to be quiet, really quiet. But there's going to be people up here, and we're going to play very quietly. We can't start talking and yelling around. But if you need to respond, if you're identifying with Naomi or with Ruth, or if, you, or if you don't know Jesus, you have to make a decision. Are you going to be bitter? Are you going to keep being bitter, keep rejecting him, or will you cleave unto him? So I invite you up. I invite the worship team. I invite the counselors up. Let's respond. Let's, let's deal with what we heard today. Um, yeah. that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.live.